So we did that as a community event. That was really good. One of the things that we've really been working on is forming a community of folks, you know, different farms and things like that. So we have a once a month, we have, we call them, no one's an expert, but we're still going to get stuff done. So we had, we were in a larger group in, in Kansas city, um, and then had a telegram group and all this other stuff. And, and, uh, but we could never get anybody to do anything because they were all, well, well, we need to get an expert to come and show us how to do this. And then we figured out, well, we're not experts, but we're still going to just have a workshop and we're going to figure it out. Like, you know, one guy had done it once, like we were, we were processing chickens because when you have chickens and they're straight run, you end up with 50 to 60% roosters. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we pro- we got together and we processed 16 roosters one Saturday. And then uh, it's something that you don't feel comfortable with unless you do it often, right? Yeah. So, um, so we just got together, said, hey, one of us has done this before and the rest of us haven't. So we're not an expert, but we're still going to get stuff done. And then we taught each other and processed the chickens and did that. And then we started setting up workshops every month on a specific Saturday, like the second Saturday. And then one of us would um, would volunteer for a topic or a couple topics. Inside of the city, the people are crazy. Out of their minds, they ain't got a clue. We gone away, headed west for Montana. Family and friends, all I got now is you. We both got new jobs, a house and a homestead, thinking this was the life, all that there'd be. After our firstborn, you had to stay home. That's when the work got in the way for me. Well, I started. farm to help and to wander. Me and the family, a truck and an RV, send us a message and there will be. This is the Farm Hop Life Podcast, a traveling homestead family. I'm Matt DeRozier. Tonight, my guest is Scott Miller of Thriving the Future Podcast, finding positive solutions to thrive in the tough times ahead. And he lives in Northeast Kansas. Not sure why. How's it going, Scott? <laughs> Good, Matt. Yeah, well, I live here because of work, basically. Do you Are you able to talk about your job? What is it that you do? Uh, well, yeah. Um, I am a IT project manager. You can hear me kind of reference that on the podcast sometimes. But uh, what I really like to do is grow trees and... and uh, mess around with the gardens and stuff like that do you have a favorite tree like a favorite kind of tree that like produces produces well and you you like to harvest it and eat it right i haven't have i don't have any trees that have got to the point where they're harvesting yet because they usually take about five years right so um my my first year of apple production was this year um, and then I have uh, my very, very first chestnut was this year. It was only one nut. <laughs> so, 
uh, we're just going to leave that there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one, I, one, uh, one of the things that I'm working on is, is I go down to the local elementary school and uh, one of my friends planted chestnuts there many years ago and then nobody's collecting them. So I just go and get them and then grow them out from seed and tree pots. And that's my latest project is to grow them up and then either plant them around my property or sell the chestnuts um, for, so other people can sprout them or, um, or I grow them out and then sell the trees. Nice. What zone are you in? The uh, 6A. Okay. I think we're in 5B. So I was curious like what the hardiness of uh, those chestnuts are. Yeah, I think they still work in 5A. Nice. Um, so I was on your podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago and... Mm -hmm. And then you filled out the form. I can't remember the exact order of things, but then you filled out the form on the website and like, all right, cool. Let's get this guy on. How did you get started into homesteading? Yeah. So I used to live in town. My wife um, boarded her horse. She had a horse and, and we lived in a townhouse. I worked in downtown Kansas city. One day we're sitting around the lunch table across the street is the park where all of the protests happened. This was before 2016. This was back in 2014 and it was already bad. So um, the company we work for said, you know, this is probably going to be a safety issue for our employees when we get off work today. So we're letting you go early and we're sitting around the lunch table. My friend who Dave, who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, when we were talking about deer hunting. Um, he said, what would you do if you couldn't get out of here? What would you do if you couldn't get out of downtown Kansas City? And then we started talking about bug out bags and things like that. Um, that led to one, one thing led to another. I discovered Jack Spierko and then homesteading and decided that, you know, I need to, I need to grow my own food. My wife was saying, I'm getting tired of boarding a horse. Let's get some land. So we bought 10 acres um, in Northeast Kansas here. Um, we have horses. We have two horses, a donkey. We have about 20 chickens. And then little by little, I've grown the gardens and the orchards larger and larger. Um, it's been a challenge because it's all compacted clay. It doesn't have very much organic matter in it. And uh, um, it, the garden area was completely dependent on chemicals and overly um, chemicalized or whatever. And uh, it took several years to detox that and then get it to the point where this works, this doesn't work, right? And uh, so, yeah, that's what I've been working with. I'm trying to, I'm not, I'm not familiar with my local Kansas City uh, riots and uprisings. Um, what, what was the event in 20, 2014? Well, it was all kinds of events, but uh, the one that was going on there was the Ferguson riots were going on over in uh, St. Louis. Okay. And yep, so yep. they have, you know, around here, it's like everybody has solidarity events, right? So, you know, and then and then it got worse in 2016 with the election and Trump and all that other stuff. There's a there's a there's a famous photo online of a lady screaming in a police horse's, you know, so a policeman's on a police horse. She's screaming in his face, and then she ended up punching the horse. Nice. That that'll get you far. Yeah. So anyway, but the uh, the horse literally didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. I punched the horse. 
yeah, it, it that that's that's the kind of craziness. So you know, did the horse press charges? She got charged. So <laughs> yeah, but did the horse get? He didn't stomp her. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, so you know, that's the kind of stuff that uh, and and that's been disrupted several times. There was a there was Anfa down there in twenty sixteen, mm-hmm. and some counter protesters showed up. They all had the Anifa guys had uh, air had AK forty sevens. The the um, the counter protesters had uh, ARs, and then the cops showed up and said, "You can't have loaded guns. It's against the ordinance. You need to unload your guns right now." And the apparently the Anifa guys couldn't figure out how to clear their guns and almost uh, fired a couple rounds. So <laughs> had to have the the counter protesters help them out. So. You know, stuff they like had that. the counter protesters help them unload their weapons. That's, yeah. uh-huh. that's hilarious. Yeah, and that was actually in the newspaper, just that story, just like that. <laughs> so, that's yeah. And, and uh, yeah, so, you know, and and it's impossible to get out of downtown Kansas City in the afternoon anyway after work. It, it, you know, so it's <laughs> take an extra half hour to get out of downtown just because of traffic. Dang. So. So yeah, remotely. Yeah, so since COVID, I got a I got a different job with a company from the East Coast that I can work remotely one hundred percent of the time. So I go out at lunchtime and uh, and um, water the garden. So, like, what motivates you to grow your own food? So, like, okay, so you got out of this city. You got tired, your wife got tired of boarding a horse. And so you're on 10 acres is pretty sweet. That's a lot that you could do a lot with 10 acres. And right. a lot of it's pasture, some of it's, some of it's woods, um, you know, and timber and things like that. So you got a good, varied like terrain of, sure. um, mm-hmm. good mix. sounds like. Yeah. So what really, what really, um, impacts me and, and inspires me to grow my own food is, when you grow your own food, it tastes totally different than it does in the store, right? Yes. One of the things, my favorite thing to grow is um, is black seeded Simpson lettuce, and this is the cut and come again lettuce. So mm-hmm. it doesn't form a head, and you cut it, and then you come back in a couple of weeks, and then you've got a whole another gallon of lettuce that you can cut and put in a bag, right? It's very very delicate lettuce it's just great especially when you put like a light vinegar light vinaigrette on it or something like that and yeah i really that's my that's my favorite thing to grow it doesn't grow too well in the summertime and then uh, and then i grow tomatoes and things like that um and then i grow a lot of apples and and try apple grafting and, <laughs> and things you know and i experiment with uh i've been trying to get better at grafting apples so when you we we talked briefly about you planting apples and like grafting apples and stuff so are you just planting new apples and like seeing what what comes up and like what tastes good or are you or are you like taking an existing apple tree and grafting like branches from that onto new growth trees yeah so usually what what we do is we get a rootstock so when you get a a regular apple tree it's almost always a grafted tree 
right? So it's grafted onto an onto rootstock. Usually it's a dwarf stock or something, so it doesn't get really big. Um, so I get the rootstock separate, and I get the whatever variety of applause I have. My favorite right now is red cinnamon, and it actually has mm -hmm. cinnamon, like red, you know, cinnamon candy overtones, right? And really? um, yeah, it's really, really good. So I get that from 39th Parallel Nursery, which is down the street from me. And uh, and so I I take those, I graft that on and then grow it out for a year and then move it somewhere else, right? And then transplant it. Another option is that I have one tree that is not resistant to cedar apple rust. So it has a hard time. So I cut off some of that and then graft other branches onto it. And then, um, so you can technically have like five different apple trees types on one tree if you graft it onto an existing tree. I think I have seen, to take it to the extreme, right? Mm -hmm. um, there was like some tree that had like 40 different kinds of fruit on it or something like that. Sure. Mm -hmm. That is, uh, that's insane. That, <laughs> yeah. That one tree could could do all that. I mean, obviously not like on its own. It would need a lot, a lot of uh, monitoring and care. Sure. To be able to make that successful. But yeah, you can do that. So I I haven't been very successful at grafting, but uh, I've, I've had several that my main problem is, is that apple grafts and apple trees in general do not work with the stun method. You know, the sheer total utter neglect the method that um mark shepherd has right they need to be irrigated like crazy they need to be fertilized like crazy i usually put them sort of on the back 40 or something and then i don't have water back there so it's uh you know a lot of them have failed um you have to water them a lot and i don't always water them a lot so you right. know um, last year, what I did was I hand dug swales and mounds. I went and uh, used an A-frame, figured out where the contours were in a corner of my pasture, fenced it off, hand dug the, the swales with a broad fork, took the, took the dirt, put it over into a mound, and then planted the apples into that. That seems to be doing very well because then it's not so much dependent on me going out there and watering it. Right. The land has natural storage of water where sure. it's needed. Yeah. Yeah. Those have done really sense. well, um, both last year and this year. So, um, I've, I've got, um, I've got some cider apples over there and then I've got several of the red cinnamon and things like that, as well as chestnuts in that, in that orchard. Nice. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, Wait, so why does it, mo what motivates you about it? You just like it? Like it, like you just like grafting apples and eating red cinnamon apples and <laughs> yeah. other, other, other fruits? Well, sure. So it's, uh, it, number one, it's resilience. Number two, it's, I, I like the challenge of trying to figure out whether I can do it and then getting it to work. And then, you know, I want to have an apple tree there so I can buy the, the tree from 39th parallel or, you know, I started just messing around and grafting it myself. Let's, um, let's talk about some of the like methods or techniques that you use. So you already talked about swales. 
mm-hmm. that you that you have swales on your property and that works sure. pretty well for irrigating your trees um do you do you have so you said you have like 20 chickens do you have like a chicken tractor or a chicken run or what what kind of how do you manage your chickens no i let the chickens run all over the place so they just we let them out in the morning and they come back in the afternoon and they're they pretty much stay on our land and then stay in the certain area of the land. They're not fenced in. Some of them are, but uh, some of the younger ones are fenced in, but the, most of them are not. And then, uh, and then I'll take some of that horse manure, some of that chicken manure, compost it, put it in the garden and things. Um, because we have so much clay, then I use a lot of lasagna gardening techniques where it would lay it out, lay down cardboard, put compost over the top of it and then, uh, you know, amendments and then wood chips and then build a garden bed out that way, let it sit um, and uh, go that way to build my garden beds in the ground. So if you let your chickens just run all over the place, do you have to go search for the eggs every, every day or? So most of the time they will lay them in the chicken house or they'll lay them in the barn okay Um, sometimes they get off and they start laying them somewhere else but for the most part that's the two places where they lay them i let my chickens uh free range for like a couple weeks like (laughs) we have a chicken run and so i just like let the just left the doors wide open and they seemed happier but they never laid in the same spot uh Mm -hmm. i would like find I'd be like, what the heck? There's no eggs like anywhere. And so I went and searched like a little harder and I found like a dozen eggs like laying in one spot. I'm like, all right, sweet. Got them. Got them there. And the next day, no eggs. Yep. So I just had to keep hunting. <laughs> we have a lot of sage on the property. Sure. And so they just would find new spots to, uh, to lay their eggs. And so it was, uh, I, I didn't really care for that. I didn't really care for having to find I know there's like little things you can do, like leave, leave a fake egg in a certain spot. Right. And so that's usually where they'd lay. And I just didn't get there. Um, yeah. I use the fake egg thing. And then uh, every once in a while, we'll find a clutch of eggs in the barn behind some hay that have been sitting there for a long time. And then you have to float them to see if they're still good. Sure. And, uh, you know, most of the time they are. Um, so, you know, um, they find different ways to go in the hay bales and they or lay in the hay bales over there in the barn and stuff like that. But for the most part, since we have fake eggs in the, in the chicken house, they're going back there. Gotcha. Why do you have a donkey? <laughs> because somebody gave it to us for free. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a terrible free gift. Do you like it? Yeah. The donkey's awesome. So it's a minute, it's miniature donkey. So it's not full size. And uh, it's uh, it'll keep the dogs off the property. We have dogs on mm. three sides of us. In fact, the dogs just uh, some dogs came on the property a month ago and killed a bunch of chickens. Uh, it happened right outside my window. I was working. I didn't see it happen, but uh, I didn't know which set of dogs it was. But uh, you know, the donkey will not put up with that. Mm. And so you know, and the donkey's kind of kind of funny so donkey's kind of funny what's the donkey's name jenny it's a girl donkey so (laughs) female donkeys are jenny's and 
male donkeys are jacks. So she called it Jenny. That's funny. Um, what other, did you say you have other livestock other than the horses, the donkeys and the chickens? Or is that it? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, how about your, how about your garden? Do you, you said you have raised beds because mm -hmm. you have the clay soil. What do you build the raised beds out of? Um, usually I build them out of uh, just pine or whatever cedar from the, from Home Depot. So I built a, I built a greenhouse out in the backyard out of old windows that the neighbor had donated as well as some windows from the restore, which is the recycle store that they have for habitat for humanity or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I got some of those. I built a greenhouse and that has raised beds in it. I have some raised beds at different parts of the property. The main garden actually has in-ground beds. So I've built the, you know, using lasagna gardening, I've uh, built up the soil there and it's, uh, it's pretty nice. Nice. I still have to add, it's, it's pretty um, weak in phosphorus or whatever. And so I have to, I have to bring compost in quite a, quite a bit, um, at least once a year. What do you use for like soil tests to find out your low in phosphorus? Because I've never done a soil test here. I haven't either. Oh, okay. It just, uh, some of the ways that things work, it, you know, my friend Perpin said, oh yeah, you've got a, you've got a deficiency in phosphorus. Hmm. So, and then I'll either go get some bone meal and mix that in or something like that. Gotcha. You, you said that you use horse and chicken manure in your mm -hmm. garden beds. Do you right. age it at all? Yeah. Yeah, the, the both the chicken manure and the and the horse manure are too hot to use. The horse and manure it, is too hot to use. I didn't know oh, yeah. that. Yeah, so cow manure, horse manure, all those are too hot to use. You have to let them sit for almost a year. And hmm. uh, rabbit manure is about the only thing that you can use immediately. And so I've used rabbit manure from uh, family members and things that uh, raised rabbits, but for the most part. Um, it's mostly just chicken manure and, hor and horse manure. Gotcha. I just talked to a guy last week that like he puts the chicken manure right on his plants. Like he, um, I know I was shocked too, but wow. it works for him and I'm not sure how. So yeah. Yeah. I burn things by doing that. So you know, another thing you really need to watch out for, especially around here, is all of the hay fields are sprayed with this stuff called Grazon, which is yes. a herbicide. And it passes through the horse, it passes through the cow, and it's persistent for several years. So if you are on Craigslist or whatever, and then you get, you get cow manure from Craigslist, then even if you compost it, it two, three years later can have a persistent herbicide in it. And it works for some stuff, but like if you're growing beans, then it'll come up and then, and because it's designed to kill the broadleaf stuff, just kill it right off. So I, I heard like story after story about that this year alone that, mm -hmm. you know, Hey, I, I got my compost from this company that they said that, was for sure did use pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, whatever. And it like our, we had a total crop failure 
you know, sure. nothing grew. And turns out that the stuff place that their compost came from did end up having Grazon on it. And like, they like were like apologetic and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, I literally had zero harvest this year. Thanks. Yep. So I've had the same thing happen with municipal compost. So I have a couple of places in town, one in one in town and then um, another place that's actually a organic garden center. And, you know, they, their compost comes from municipal sources there's still too much, you know, Roundup or whatever in it. And then because uh, people are spraying Roundup on the dandelions, yeah. you know, and then uh, and then it ends up in there. Um, and then uh, I've had beans just up and die. They'll get like they'll come up, they'll get about an inch tall. And then as soon as they start developing a second set of leaves and they'll die. Wow. So yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a really big problem and it's hard to find hay that isn't treated with the Grazon or some variant. So, you know, so if I want to use my own horse's manure, then I, or I get the hay. So basically if you're driving down the road and you see a hay field and it doesn't have weeds in it, it is sprayed. That's just the way it is. And then to make matters worse, north of us is a hay field and they spray that. Um, I've got a buffer zone with trees, but sometimes if the if the wind's blowing right, it'll blow that over onto my land. Um, you know, if they're spraying on a certain day. Right. They they'll say like, oh, if it's a high windy day, we won't spray. Like, no, no, yes, yes, you will. You will totally spray because you just want to get the job done. Go to the next right. one. Don't sure. don't lie. <laughs> and you know, a nice windy day. They may say, okay, I don't want it blowing this way, but I don't have a problem with blowing on your place, you know. And uh, another thing that's a really big problem around here is there is a soybean um, herbicide that's sprayed that can actually, under certain circumstances, when it gets hot, it can uh, like um, bubble up or, or, you know, turns into a cloud that comes off the field and then can drift onto your field what yeah so it's a real big problem in missouri and arkansas which isn't Weird. too terribly far from here and uh it's it's really used a lot in missouri and i think arkansas tried to stop its use but yeah and and it's uh it'll just turn into a cloud and you know under certain heat conditions and then drift onto your land so it's uh like a toxic fog or something i don't know it's so yeah, weird. Pretty much, yeah so i don't have any soybean around me i have i have corn around me and then i have hay to the north of me but uh you know i don't have anything that like that that'll directly drift onto my land boy that that sucks <laughs> yeah so some of those things you have to really watch out for and, and have enough buffers with you know whatever trees you put in either i don't like putting in cedar trees because of the cedar rust mm -hmm. effect on apples but you know you can also get like a fast growing tree like ash or or something like that or you know a buffer tree and then put in a buffer for your permaculture garden and then keep that keep it that kind of thing from drifting onto your land it almost sounds like 10 acres isn't enough <laughs> well, my garden's on the edge of one of the 
you know, it's it's a long, skinny plot of land. So, sure. you know, most of it's pasture for the horses, and uh, you know, and then the orchard and the and the garden are on one end or on one side. Sure, it just seems like I that's not something I've had to fight here. I'm only on two and a quarter acres. And so, um, like we just have like small garden people around us and I live in a hill and nobody, yeah. so it's just not something I've had to deal with. So this, this whole, you know, fighting overspray is like a total foreign concept to me. Yeah. And even so we did, we did an episode back in the spring where we went and did a site survey on a friend's land and he had a three, three acres that were kind of long. And when we started mapping it all out, you get to the point, you have to have a certain amount of, um, space, you know, an easement along the edges and things like that. You have to have, by the time you take that into account and then you take into account, I gotta be, I gotta watch out for electric and all that. Um, I've got to leave space for my septic tank that eats up three acres pretty fast. Oh yeah. yeah. So, you know, everybody's talking about, oh, I grew all of the food I need on a quarter acre. Yeah, you can do that if you really, really plan well and you're doing, and, and you have really good soil. But, um, you know, if you don't, then you've got to spread it out a little bit more and three acres can, uh, I, I don't have, I don't garden three acres, but uh, I have about a, 25 25 foot wide by about 100 foot garden and then another 80 feet of uh orchard so it's still a lot of square feet but oh you'd yeah be you'd be surprised how much you don't have to grow in there right right with with everything having its place and whatnot sure with paths and and you know compost piles and things like that so what's something that you've tried and worked well? It sounds like moving worked really well for you. Yeah. So chestnuts seem to be working really well for me. Um, as you long as the you one nut. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, harvesting and foraging the chestnuts and then growing them in tree pots seems to be working pretty well. Um, you can't go and get organic chestnuts from the store. So there's an, there's a chestnut farm that's uh, a few miles from here. They sell chestnuts at the store. They're organic. So I'm like, okay, they're organic. Obviously they're not sprayed. Well, they are treated so that they can be sold for consumption. So mm -hmm. they're like treated in a hydrogen peroxide solution or something. And even though that's organic, you know, it makes them so that very few of them sprout. So that was a hard lesson learned. Um, one of the things that i that i uh that i am doing that works surprisingly well is elderberry so i took elderberry i take cuttings in the in february and if i grow them in pots then they grow fairly well and under lights and then i take them outside and it gets too hot too fast and they die but it's surprising you take a stick of elderberry and you just cut a stick off and stick it in the ground and it takes off and you don't have to do anything. So I have elderberry that I've, that I've uh, propagated everywhere just by taking a stick and sticking it in the ground in February or March. Is it thorny? Not elderberry, no. Oh, okay. It's just like 
I'm assuming it has just has like kind of like a woody kind of stock to it, like a mm -hmm. like a raspberry, I guess. Sure. Yeah, it's thicker than that. It it you know some of them get thicker than your thumb and stuff like that. So I just cut those and they I have them planted around my apple trees in like an apple guild and they outperform the apple. So I have to keep cutting them back. And when I cut them back, then I take them and I move them around the property and propagate them elsewhere. Hmm. So you planted them around the apples. Why? Um, because that's a permaculture guild and, you know, okay. and, and I didn't know if it was, that's why I was asking. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, you know, the whole idea is you make a guild with a apple in the middle, you put some sort of shrub around the outside and then, you know, the herbal layer and, and things like that. So I had, I have an article about this on freedomfarmer.net, but basically the, the apples in the middle, elderberries around the side, there's mint down at the bottom, there's horseradish, there's uh, lemon balm, strawberries, things like that. And then, and then they all grow up together. Problem was that the elderberries outperformed the apples because the apples were a dwarf tree and elderberries just went nuts and they got taller than the dwarf apple tree pretty quickly um, and outperformed it quite a bit. So I keep those trimmed back and then I take them and propagate them elsewhere. Hmm. That sounds kind of cool. Why? How did you find that guild or did you make it like come up with it on your own? Um, I think I... I think I got it from uh, I, the, I got the idea from a permaculture site. Gotcha. gotcha. So I use the elderberries for medicinal for colds during the mm -hmm. during the winter time, and I also make elderberry wine out of it. Ooh, is that any good? <laughs> elderberry wine is so funny because elderberries are pretty nasty. I mean, you just you know you can't eat them or turn them into jelly or whatever. And uh, so you make elderberry wine and it is very bitter. And, and a year later, it still is fairly nasty. And then, uh, and then you let it, I was like, I can't understand why I would even want this. And then I let some sit for another year. And then all of a sudden at two years, it's good. Hmm. So it mellows out. Sometimes you can add some, uh, you can back sweeten it with a little bit of grape juice or something like that. And uh, it was, it was really good. I, I took some to some friend's house and they really liked it too. That's, that's funny. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I've had elderberry jam or jelly mm -hmm. before, but maybe they added so much sugar to it that sure. to make it not terrible. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, they're they're pretty bitter, you know, and uh, so yeah. Or I'll make um, I'll make some infusion with uh, you know, in vodka for cough syrup, basically for the winter time. Gotcha. That's a good idea. Yeah, and then so you make elderberry syrup. You can either make elderberry syrup by cooking it down, and then same same way you're making wine, except you don't put yeast in it and then you cook it down until it's a syrup and then i freeze it in freezer bags and then that is a medicinal to boost your immunity in the winter time and then or i'll put the elderberries into um vodka and let them sit for a month drain them out 
and then use the vodka as basically like cough cough medicine or something like that if i get a cold so a couple of you're getting a cold all winter just keep drinking it <laughs> yeah yeah i feel exactly. a cold coming on better drink it yeah exactly what have you tried that failed or didn't work well so the stun method definitely <laughs> i i was like why are apple trees not working well i don't have water in the back 40 Mm -hmm. And that's where I originally planted apple trees and, and they were just failing left and right. Um, so the swales seemed to work a lot better. I had a really good wet year and then some of the apples took off and now I, I got apples off of one of those trees for the first time this year. Well it was established now. Yeah, it was an Arkansas black and it really, uh, apple and it, it really, uh, did a good job. So, and those apples store into the wintertime. So they're not really eating out of hand apples, but then toward when you store them for the winter, then about well, supposedly like December or something like that, then they'll get more pleasant. So, or they're also good with cider, making cider out of. Have you made cider before? Yeah. So as a community, our small little community um, of guys, we got together last year. One of us has a apple cider press. And so we got all of our apples and pressed them out and made cider out of it. And then we made some hard cider. We made some regular cider and uh, and experimented with the different apple types to see which were the best. And who won? <laughs> it wasn't a competition, but it was really good. So and then we tried some hard cider from previous years. And and uh, I don't think anybody follows any uh good directions to the point where we have a repeatable process where, wow, that's so good. I've got to do it like that next time. So, um, yeah, I'm, I've, I've made hard apple cider and sometimes it, uh, doesn't turn out the same way, but you know, right. yeah, it, it's pretty good though. Nice. So we did that as a community event. That was really good. One of the things that we've really been working on is, um, forming a um a community of folks you know different farms and things like that so we have a once a month we have we call them no one's an expert but we're still going to get stuff done so we had we were in a larger group in in kansas city um and it had a telegram group and all this other stuff and and uh but we could never get anybody to do anything because they were all well well we need to get an expert to come and show us how to do this and then we figured out well we're not experts but we're still going to just have a workshop and we're going to figure it out like you know one guy had done it once like we were we were processing chickens because when you have chickens and they're straight run you end up with 50 to 60 percent roosters mm -hmm. so you know, we pro we got together and we processed 16 roosters one Saturday. And then uh, it's something that you don't feel comfortable with unless you do it often. Right. Yeah. So, um, so we just got together, said, hey, one of us has done this before and the rest of us haven't. So we're not an expert, but we're still going to get stuff done. And then we taught each other and processed the chickens and did that and then we started setting up workshops every month on a specific saturday like the second saturday and then one of us would um 
would volunteer for a topic or a couple topics. We made vinegar from scratch, which is, I didn't like vinegar at all, hated vinegar, but I like making vinegar from scratch. I like vinegar from scratch, either from apple cider vinegar or I make uh, asparagus vinegar, which is really good. Never heard of that. Yeah. So basically you, you take asparagus, you put it in the Nutribullet, grind it up, drain it out or strain it out and then take the juice and then add honey to it, sugar to it, whatever, and yeast, turn it in, you know, just like you're fermenting it if you were going to make wine or something. Um, and then add a little bit of a mother from a uh, active vinegar and it's really light vinegar. I made some, um, I made some yellow beet vinegar that was really good and things like that. So we, we did that as an example, and this is how we did it. We did it together. We've uh, done apple graphs together where I got to show the guys how I, how I do graphs and, and we went through and, and all did them together. One of us had, uh, had some crypto skills and we got together and learned some crypto skills. So we've been, we've been doing that about once a month. Um, okay, I'm going to come back to that in just a second. Sure. What are you using the vinegar for? Are you just drinking it? Or are you mixing it with something? Are you like, what are you, what are you doing with this asparagus and beet vinegar? So you can take it and then put it on your salad and it's actually very, very light vinegar. So, and it's kind of got a little bit of sweetness to it. So it's not nasty. You know, most vinegar that you buy at the store is made from not uh it, it's not made from organic sources right most of the like the the white vinegar you buy at the store is made out of wood cellulose mm -hmm. for the most part and most of the apple cider vinegar is just too strong i don't i don't like it but if you make apple scrap vinegar or something like that you can make you can make vinegar out of your scraps um i've made these other ones and then they're lighter you can control how much yeast you have in them or whatever and i like to use honey instead of sugar for the fermentation so they were lighter they had just a little bit of sweetness to them that both the the beet vinegar and that asparagus vinegar can be used like a vinaigrette and then i just put an article on uh on thriving the future it's about two weeks old it's called switchel and um what do they got yeah, they're they're basically vinegar drinks. So basically, you take the vinegar and you can mix it with mixed drinks. You can mix it with uh, soda water, with ginger, with cayenne, or whatever else. And that's how people used to drink um, their their drinks back a hundred years ago. You know, it was a they were called switchels. Weird. Yeah, so, so it's, it's kind of neat. I hated vinegar, but I like making. Homemade vinegar. Yeah, if uh, and that probably pairs pretty nicely with that um, lettuce that you that you grow. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, especially that homegrown lettuce, homemade vinegar. Right, and the lettuce are just really, really small pieces instead of being like a big hat of lettuce. So sure. it's really good to mix in with that kind of uh, lettuce. So, crypto stuff. This isn't really like a crypto show, but I have had on a couple Bitcoin people before. Um, mm -hmm. What is it? How did how did that evolve? 
getting like learning and like learning about crypto, like, cause you said you listen to Jack Spierko as do I, sure. um, did you not get into it until you did the community thing? Oh no, we've done that. It was, it was basically like, um, some of the folks in the group hadn't used a wallet yet mm. or hadn't used it to the same extent as the rest of us. So one of us said, Hey, you know, I'm going to explain how crypto works. Cause you know, people, people know what crypto is, but they really don't know how it works. And then, um, I'll help, I'll help you set up your wallet and we'll trade back and forth. We even took a class, uh, Vin Armani, who used to be on, uh, Spirico show. Yes. Now, he, now he goes by Cyprian. Right. And, yep. uh, and he's, uh, he's got his Bitcoin mystery school class. Both Perpin and I took the, uh, the Bitcoin mystery school where they actually teach you how to create your own coin. You're, you're creating your own token. Hmm. And so we created our own token and said, you know, let's trade this back and forth. So in theory, you could have your own currency. Yep. And, you know, we even demonstrated that, that this isn't on an exchange. So it isn't based on what the, what the, uh, the dollar trading value, right? Yeah. So we would have a barter blanket, a standard barter blanket, you know, with, uh, somebody put something on here. I've got this, I've got this, uh, bottle of vinegar what do you want for it? And then somebody else puts something, somebody puts, you know, three people put something on there and then you get to choose which one of those things you want to trade or nothing. Right. And then it has this comparative value. So then we took it and we said, okay, so how much is this crypto coin worth? And we traded it and determined that it was worth one mercury dime, which was a silver dime, or two things of, uh, I don't remember all the things it was worth. And, uh, you know, so basically it gets you away from the idea that crypto only is dollars, right? right. And it only has dollar value because crypto, you know, Bitcoin was not made for trading on exchanges. It was for buying things and yep. having a, you know, have an exchange. And so, you know, once you get into that, then it's it's interesting because you get away from the, wait a minute, that cost me this, that cost me that, right? And when you get into the barter blankets even, even more so, then is this thing that they're offering the same value as what I just put on here, right? Mm -hmm. I just put a loaf of homemade bread on here. How much is that worth to me? that has a different value to me than it does to my friend who's trading against me. Right. So I might value it based on what my ingredients were. I might value it based on my time. I might value it based on what I think it would cost if I had to buy it. They're seeing it differently about how much, you know, they're, they've got their own value measurements there. And then you start getting away from thinking in dollars. And so we were using that, that token as a exchange, um, as an exercise to get away and say, what do you think this would be worth? Right. And, um, I mean, it, it may get to that point where that's, you know, if they do central bank digital currency or something like that, and you don't have cash and you can't use the central bank digital currency because you did something and then they shut you right. off. And, uh, you know, they cancel cultured you, then, uh, <laughs> you know, what are you going to trade? You're going to barter. 
or you're going to you could use a your own coin right yes but i yeah, there are some of the things we <laughs> some of the exercises we did sorry i cut you off no that's fine i was just gonna say um i don't know if you remember sal mayweather who had 3d printer go burr mm -hmm. um so i bought a 3d printer off of him right for bitcoin cash but i don't think it was denominated in Bitcoin cash, it was denominated in dollars and you'd pay that amount in Bitcoin cash. So like, and I didn't realize this until like, honestly, I didn't think about it until now, um, that if he, if he really wanted to, like, I know I'm sure he bought like, you know, 50 print 3d printers or whatever and needed to make his money back, whether or not what, depending on what the crypto market was doing. But if you like really believed in the value of that coin, you would be like, this is worth two Bitcoin cash or whatever, whatever it would have been worth to him. Like I right. want one Bitcoin cash for this 3d printer, which I think at the time it was uh, about like, I don't know, 600 bucks or something like that mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. the, for the 3d printer. And so like, if it's if it's worth one like bitcoin cash to you just say that instead of saying oh it's like whatever the trading rate is right now like 0.92 bitcoin cash because that's the <laughs> right because that's what it's denominated in dollars the equivalent of blah 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 so sure no that um so yeah i mean how did you Bitcoin cash is what? $150? I have no idea. I don't even look anymore. Yeah, it's like $115, I think. And it's, you know, some low rate, right? So if you kept that Bitcoin cash, then all of a sudden it's worth that. Or is it? Or is it worth what's or is it worth what you can trade it for? Right. <laughs> that's that's the whole thing. It kind of and then it starts making your head hurt when you try and wrap your head around it, right? that uh, it, it's almost, it, it takes the next step beyond, um, I didn't lose money if I don't actually sell this. So, yeah. you know, I it's not worth that. It's not worth $115 if I don't trade it on an exchange and trade it back into dollars. Or I'm working with somebody who thinks in that logic, right? Right. It should be worth what, you and I say it's worth, but you know, people can't get a can't get off of that. Yeah, it's it 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 is a hard metric to break out of. Mm -hmm. um, one last question before we move on: How did you like the Bitcoin Mystery School? Like, I've seen it, I've seen um, Cyprian advertise it. You know, push it every now and then on Twitter, right? And. I was always curious about it. I don't remember what it cost, something like a hundred bucks or something like that. Yeah, um, I think it costs about 200 bucks. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, no, no, it, costs, it costs X number of <laughs> Bitcoin, right? And Bitcoin cash. So the Bitcoin Mystery School gives you background on how Bitcoin works. Mm -hmm. One of the also things that is really cool that he doesn't talk about very much is you can also use the app whatever the wallet is, you know, it also has the capability to take something and encrypt it just like a message. 
So you could almost use it like, um, you know, to send, you know, it, it's almost like PGP or whatever those old things were, where I've got the key, you've got the key. Now you can decrypt my stuff message wise, right? Mm -hmm. You can use the app for that. And then it gives you the the background. The first day is background on Bitcoin and how it works. You actually get in and look at you're watching it on the exchange while you're you're creating a coin or a token or whatever it is. And then uh, and then the second day, he teaches you how to make a token based on Bitcoin. And then you start realizing and this is the funny thing. He basically says that you can. Um, everybody says that Bitcoin is scarce right? It's decreasing and everything else, but they keep spinning up other things based on Bitcoin, mm -hmm. right? When they created Bitcoin cash, technically they recreated all of Bitcoin. So, you know, um, and USDT, those guys are constantly creating new coins all the time. Right. So they're creating new coins out of thin air. And that was the main, that was one of the mind blowing lessons is that you know for the most part it's only worth what you think it's worth sure and and then he shows you how to do all those things um and then it sets the stage also for if you want to be a developer it's a entry where you can take some other classes with wallets you could take some other classes and then you can you can even you know be a bitcoin developer if you want like he's got several software projects going on. That's cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Is it live or recorded? It's live and recorded. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So yeah, it, it is kind of, uh, he does it in three days over a weekend. So it's Friday, Saturday and Sunday nights. And some of them, one of them was like in Sunday afternoon or something like that. So, I mean, you know, you have Dude, to. It sounds cramped back in three days. Yeah, it's not bad. I think it's two hour sessions each time. Oh, okay. That isn't bad. Yeah, it's not bad. So, and it's not a lot of homework or anything like that. And, you know, it was pretty straightforward. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um. That was a pretty cool divergent. Uh, I didn't know you were you were like that uh, that into crypto. So like you know, I'm getting I'm getting all these little like facets about you. This is awesome. Um, yeah, I'm a complicated I'm a complicated guy. <laughs> you look so complicated just looking at you. <laughs> Extremely. No. <laughs> um, what's been your biggest challenge in homesteading? <laughs> My biggest challenge in homesteading is mindset right and not is not getting freaked out by failure so it's always something right so what worked last year doesn't work this year yep. i i saved seed from my tomatoes should have worked didn't work so i'm not sure why none of them no i mean they sprouted they grew they never some of it had to do with uh the environment this year right so we got very little rain it was weirdly hot and then weirdly chilly and then weirdly hot again. And for some reason, they never ripened. They just stayed green. And I had a I had a mix of Amish paste tomatoes and pineapple, both of which I really like, you know, but they're too different. And for some reason, they didn't make a very good cross. So I'm going to have to try something else. 
Amish paste seemed to work really well by itself. Didn't work too well when it was cross-pollinated. Gotcha. So, but I mean, you know, that might have just been because of, um, you know, so seeds have, you know, one of the things we talk about is seeds have a memory. And if I buy seeds from on the other side of the country, they're used to that locale, right? So I bought some seeds from um, Jason Lofthouse. And he's really big about making his own land races. So he, he, um, whatever works in his garden, he'll keep it going. And then he'll cross pollinate it and keep refining it and things like that. So I thought that was great. What works in Utah doesn't work in Kansas. <laughs> Stuff like that. That was, that was a big failure this year. And then the deer figured out a way to get over the fence. So they figured out a way to get over the fence and they ate down on my corn. They ate down my beans. They ate down, you know, pretty much everything except the tomatoes. And then the tomatoes failed. So just the, the failure is an option. So I'm going to learn some stuff from it and then come back next year and, and, and uh, put a little bit more. Um, I used cover crop last in between the seasons this time, instead of bringing in a bunch of amendments. Apparently I should have brought in some more amendments. So I'm going to do that this year, see what's different. And I'm going to have to repair the fence so the deer can't get over. Gotcha. What kind of fence is it? Um, I don't know. It's just one of those four foot high, you know, it's, it's T posts and this. Like coated. field fence. Yeah. It's just a field fence. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. I didn't the know field if it fence like six the... foot plus no. little ribbons or something. I don't know. No. So I've got four foot and then most of the places have another strand of wire above that. But the back of my garden has a, it's probably 36 inches. It's three foot fence. And then they figured out how to get over that. And then they, uh, they just went crazy. So, you know, things like that. I made some turnips and some radishes and they were really, really, really bitter. And I got to figure out what was going on with that. Hmm. So, you know, those are, it, it's just uh, <laughs> what worked last year won't necessarily work this year. Right. And embracing that and then learning from it and going on. That's, that's the, that's the fun thing, right? That's the, that's the weird thing every year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's the best part about homesteading? Having your own food, walking outside and watering my garden at lunchtime. That would be pretty nice to be able to do that. Just. And the yeah, Kansas well. sunsets, Kansas sunsets are pretty amazing. So the sunset tonight was really nice. What time did it set at like 6.15? <laughs> no, no, I think it's about 6.45 right now. That wasn't too far off. Yeah. So it's 6.45 and then what? We got one week until, uh, yeah, not this weekend, but the next week it'll be daylight savings time. Right. So sun comes up at, thing ever. Yeah, sun comes up at 7:45 central and goes down at 6:45 central. 6:40 somewhere on there. And then it'll go back and, you know. Then it'll proceed until it's like five o'clock in the afternoon. We've touched on this 
here and there throughout throughout this interview. But how do you get over not being an expert in something? Well, most of the people who are experts are experts, self-proclaimed experts, or they're experts somewhere else. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's one of the things <laughs> it's like, um, work, what works for Mark Shepard as an expert in Wisconsin doesn't work for me here in Kansas. So him being an expert is nice, but I got to figure out how to make it work here. It's Are like you an work. expert on your 10 acres? I am a above average amateur on my 10 acres. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. When, when I was, when I first started listening to Jack Spearco, um, I was under the impression just because everything they were talking about made it sound like you would get to Xanadu and you would get to the point where you would have no weeds and no bugs. I mean, literally. And so I called, I called in on one of those call in show days and I said, so what's the deal here? It makes it sound like you're going to get to the point where you have no weeds and no bugs. And, you know, and then he set me straight. That's not how it works. <laughs> So that's all he said. <laughs> yeah, he was actually pretty nice. I mean, basically, yeah, I completely misunderstood. But, you know, I mean, if you're starting out, that's sort of the way it sounded. I yeah. mean, to the point of being almost, uh, uh, you know, I like Jack, so I'm not going to say anything about that. But, you know, it, it almost sounded too confident. You know what I mean? And I was like, I am not seeing this at all. I can't imagine this being like this at all. And half of it is being able to take like like we were talking about when you were on my show was that it was it doesn't rain at all during uh, we don't get April showers, bring May flowers. Yep. We, it doesn't rain in April. And then all of a sudden it rains a lot in May and June. And then in July, we don't get very much rain, but then we'll get two inches at a time. Five inches at a time sometimes. And, uh, you know, and, and so it's dry, 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 five inches at a time. That's where the swale type things come in really handy. Yeah. But, you know, we're, it, at times it almost is Texas-like where you can't get anything to, we've got two seasons where I can get two, two growing seasons, but it's hard to get things to sprout in July for that second season. Because it just won't, they won't germinate. Right. Yeah, I think we also yeah. talked about how dry it is at my place, too. And I'm like, I just need to do swales. And I've had analysis paralysis about it. And you're like, just do it. <laughs> yeah. And then people are like, well, like, I don't have a, I don't have, um, I don't, I don't have a tractor or I don't have a backhoe or I don't want to rent this or do that. Okay. Well, I hand dug them over two months. Right. And they're not great. They're not wide, but they work. I'm starting to realize that, that, um, you know what, just like shoot your shot and like, just go for it. Even if it's not perfect. Cause if I did swales, let's say like last year, I'd have all that. Like, like we're like you, you know, we went a couple months without rain here. Right. Things were like stupid dry mm -hmm. and I would have had all that. I don't know how long it would have lasted, but I would have had a lot more 
um, moisture in the in the ground that I do now. So sure, sure, yeah. A lot of it is just figuring out what works on your land, and then becoming an expert, air quotes, on your own on your own land, and not letting it worry you, and then getting stuff done anyway. Right. You know, it's it's just like uh, you know we were talking about workshops. Um, I didn't know mm -hmm. how to sharpen a chainsaw, so we had uh, we had a wood cutting day over at a friend's house uh, the last couple weekends, and I took my chainsaw over there and he showed me how to uh, sharpen it, and then I went to go use it and it still wasn't cutting through. And he said, "Yeah, you wore your chain out. You should have changed your chain." <laughs> you know, like halfway through the last time you did some work with it. So, hmm. and uh, yeah, so, I mean, you know, it's, it, it's learning the new things and uh, I'm not an expert, but I'm still going to get stuff done. I'm not an expert, but we're going to learn it together. I'm not an expert, but we're going to build community while we're doing it. Right. I was going to ask that ties in pretty nice to the, the next question. So like, how do you learn new skills? Is it through your workshops and your community? Yeah. And then also, you know, online and then just trying it. So there's a lot of, hey, they did this. I wonder if I can do that. You know, the Mark Shepard thing. We talked a little bit about uh, Ben Falk, right? His book says he grows rice. Well, the book doesn't mention that he gave up on growing rice because mm -hmm. the birds were descending, things like that. Um, but I could take a little bit here. I could take a little bit there. I can try and get it to work and then keep track of what happens and what doesn't. I've got a spreadsheet that I keep every year about everything that I plant. I wasn't very good on that this year, but I keep track of when my first and last frost date is and, uh, you know, and, and, and things like that. Um, what I planted, what, what worked and what didn't, I actually planted this on this date and then I harvested on this date and, uh, you know, it's a pretty extensive spreadsheet. I get like hundreds of rows in there by the time I get to June. Um, and then one third of it fails, maybe more sometimes. Hmm. I think pretty much every tree I grafted this year failed except for a handful. So it was just a weird year. It is a weird year. What's the next thing you're planning to learn at the, uh, at the workshop? Like, do you guys like have a schedule or something like, Hey, this month we're doing this and next month we're doing that. Uh, yeah, we don't have, uh, we don't have that planned out for the next couple months, mainly because we start getting into the holidays. Right. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what we have scheduled next but uh, one of us will step up and do it you know we went and uh, looked at our friend's worm farm we went and looked at how he was uh he was um screening out compost and mm. things like that he's he's kind of a compost junkie um you know and he takes it so far as he's like screening screening it out and then separating it into different uh um you know consistencies or something like that so you know, we, we went and looked at that. That was kind of interesting. And then, uh, how do you, how do you homestead in the city? Um, how's that different than, uh, than what I'm doing? Um, we take garden tours of each other's places. Um, right now we don't usually do a lot in between now and February. And then we start doing the inside 
things like the crypto. Um, that makes January, sense, yeah. January, February, we'll have the sessions where we're inside and we're doing that. I think we had a solar workshop um, when it was really, really hot in the in the summertime. Like solar power or like solar yeah. dehydrator? Or, okay. Solar, solar power. Yeah, I have a solar dehydrator that uh, somebody gave me. So um, nice. But it burns things up too hot. So um, yeah, so we had a solar power workshop. One of the guys in our community is an electrician. He's really into solar and stuff like that. And he went through everything. And one of the interesting things he said was that, uh, you know, most people around here don't have batteries. They only hook up to the grid with sure. their solar, right? Mm -hmm. And so the electric company is mining them. They're mm -hmm. doing free mining for the electric company. And the electric company pretty much across America is decreasing the amount of that they are paying to buy back yep. your electricity, right? In Kansas, in um, California, it's like 30 to one. Yep. And, and here it's like three to one and they're significantly reducing it starting at the end of this year, next month or something like that. So you think you're doing really well and then all of a sudden you're just basically mining free electricity for them. Pretty and, much, uh, yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of problems with uh, there's a lot of problems with um, you have to get the code if you're going to hook up into the grid, you know, if you're going to hook up to the electric at your house, and then you'll get one guy from the county that comes out and he's pro this vendor, and then when you go to get it inspected, the other guy from the county comes out and he's the he's sees it totally different than that dude, and then you've got these mismatches that was one of the things we found out wow <laughs> yeah yeah stupid small bureaucratic yep government has burr, 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 burr. <laughs> yep did you catch my interview with brian harrington at all i listened to a little bit of it yeah he gets into so he's in california and he has solar mm -hmm. and right. he's like yeah i'm not i'm, I, I'm gonna get my money's worth and put up a like Bitcoin miner in my, in my garage. Mm -hmm. and yeah. I remember that. Whatever. Yeah. So he's whatever the, the input is of the solar and he already knows pretty close, like what his house is going to use. And he just like sets that number. I'm going to take, take the difference, put that towards the Bitcoin miner. And once that, a lot of energy is like done. Well, then the Bitcoin miner shuts off. Essentially, is mm. how he's doing it. And wow. So, yeah. So he's not going over. Like he's not drawing power from the right. grid to run his Bitcoin miner. So mm -hmm. he's like, that's that's been how he's doing it. Like that makes sense to me. Sure. So, yeah, and I don't know how it works. Where if you if you're drawing off, right? So say you generate. I don't know, 2000 Watts or something. I don't, I don't know what the numbers are. Right. And then you use 2000 Watts, whether there's anything that goes on with the electric company at all, or if they just get your surplus or how that works. I, I, I that's unclear to me, but you know, it's, uh, there's a lot of people that are basically paying, they're paying on their system and then they're breaking even, or they're in the hole a little bit. 
Right. Yep. Right. Um, wrapping up here. Okay. Um, what would you tell people that want to get started? Well, get ready for the highest highs and the lowest lows, right? So I'm sitting here two weeks ago and, and, uh, and there's dogs chewing on my rooster out outside my window and I didn't see it. Right. So rooster put up a very valiant effort defending the hens. And, uh, I like that rooster, but we had to go and get another rooster. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, 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 it, you have to get, used to success and failure and then learn from it and, and go on. Um, one of the things that really stands out is the food that you grow, even though it's super fresh and it's super better for you, right? Cause it's not sprayed and everything else. It won't look like the grocery store. You know, that's a good, that's a good point to make. Like it's going to be ugly. It's it will be ugly. <laughs> If you get organic apples and organic is relative because most of the apples that you get, they're organic are sprayed with organic spray. But if you get truly organic apples where they're not messing with them, they will be lobular. They'll be misshapen. They'll be a little bug bitey and stuff like that. And, you know, and, and they won't look like store apples. They won't have a sheen to them. They will um, be very dull looking. Yeah. Yeah. And most of the ones that you can grow won't be very watery. They won't be very, you know, plump and red delicious and all this other stuff. Right. So, um, and that's hard to get used to, especially when you're pulling, um, when you're pulling cabbage out and it's been half eaten. If you decide to do it as a business, then it gets a little bit more funky just because the people at the farmer's market think like the grocery store. Right. right. They have that same mentality. They bring it with them. Like, stop it. Sure. So, but if you're doing it, you cannot really beat going outside and getting fresh stuff. Fresh strawberries, unbelievable. They don't compare at all. Fresh Agreed. Apple, Agreed. Fresh apples don't compare at all. And then you start getting into different kinds of apples, like that red cinnamon that you are just not going to get in the store. They're you know, you have pawpaws. We were talking about pawpaws, right? Yeah, so yeah. Pawpaws are not shelf stable. You will never get them shipped anywhere. And uh, being able to eat those and uh, and say, "Wow, this is this." I've never had anything like this before. And that supposedly, the ones that are, yeah. yeah, the ones that are full cultivars are even better. I've not had any of those, but you know, I've only had the wild ones. And uh, you know, things like that are really great. That black seeded Simpson lettuce is just amazing. Um, and, and things like that. But getting, getting that mindset shift, right? And then uh, um, being able to um, adapt and stuff. Like I said, it's the highest highs and sometimes the lowest lows but it's it it i wouldn't trade it for anything um going back just a second sure you, you mentioned uh papa cultivar 
Right. Explain what that means. I'm not sure if I, I've heard the term for sure. I just, I guess I don't know what that means. Sure, sure. So over on the East Coast, um, Kentucky State University, I think it's KSU, um, they, they, they uh, graft cult, cultivars, right? So they take the best ones, and then there's some out in the East Coast where folks have actually um, kept crossbreeding them and things like that until they got the ones that are a certain size. They have hardly any seeds. They don't have a wild, weird aftertaste to them. They're more banana or custard or whatever. So they've been thing. genetically selected for the best production and flavor. Right. And then that's what grafting. a cultivar is. Yeah. And then they're grafting them. And one of the things that, that I failed miserably on is when you look at them on online, they're growing those out in fields, but papas don't grow out in fields around here. They grow down by the Creek. Hmm. So I planted mine out in the field and they died. And so if I plant plant them in a swale, (laughs) yeah, exactly. But even then they've got to have, they're an understory at the Creek Mm. tree. So even if I plant them in a swale, unless they have something over them, they just burn up. So, you know, but if I put them over under some overstory in a wet part of the homestead, then they seem to do okay. They're still not really fast. I mean, I, I have some I planted five years ago, and they're and they're pretty wimpy. But uh, you know, that's another example where I can't try and do what someone else is doing. You know, because that's just not how pawpaws grow around here. Sure. So, but if I make it like they grow down by the creek, then mimic they, nature. Yeah, then they seem to do better. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, awesome. I learned a lot today. Um, <laughs> we t- talked about a lot of different things. Yeah, dude, it was awesome. It was so cool to be able to just get that broad spectrum of everything. So uh, check out Scott, uh, Scott Miller on the Thriving the Future podcast. How did you, how did you come up with that name, by the way, Thriving the Future? Sure. So and this is a this is an interesting story. So a year ago, you know, th- we got through COVID, and it got to the point where everybody was either talking about complaining about COVID, complaining about the government, or whatever else. And then there's no evergreen content, right? You listen to you listen to stuff from 2020 and early 2021. Somebody's making somebody's making predictions. Their predictions are either crazy or they're not crazy enough, right? Or they're constantly just complaining. All of the Telegram groups were just full of um, conspiracy theories contradicting each other or people complaining and memeing and all this other stuff. It was just like, why aren't you guys doing anything, right? And, And they've actually shown that People are getting their dopamine hit by doing those things. They think they're doing something. They think they're making a difference. They think they're influencing. They're not doing anything. So my friend Perpin and I were driving back and forth to different events like our workshops and things like that. They're about a half an hour away. We started having conversations about community. We had conversations about um, some of the things we were talking about tonight, right? And uh, 
And how come we don't hear about this on any podcasts? So then we started just recording ourselves talking every week. And, <laughs> and then it were 50, 52 episodes in, right? Um, did it every week without stopping for a year. Nice. So he went That's off. Hard. Yeah, he went off to uh, pursue some intentional community. And uh, he's going to go and become a monk and so that's awesome <laughs> yeah and so um where specific like uh like in the states yeah. or yeah so yeah that's that's his long-term goal um and then uh so he went and for or went and joined an intentional type community uh in kansas city so i started interviewing other folks and talking to other other people uh, around about June and so rebooted the podcast and we're still going and perfect joins me this this week he's on the podcast and we're talking about how his uh how his intentional community is going and then we started talking about worldview and mindset and we talked about the the militia guys trying to crash our uh, telegram group which was oh, a great story um is that one out yet yeah it's out this week it's it's currently available gotcha okay i'll have to um, i'll have to go check that my fountain app like doesn't tell me like i have to go it doesn't like form in like my episodes i have to go to the specific show and then refresh the feed and then oh. like find the, i don't know it's dumb uh i yeah. like it but it it's got some kinks to work out i guess right so so, so that's on thrivingthefuture.com and also on your favorite podcast apps on Apple, Stitcher, you know, um, Spotify, all those. And uh, this week's episode, Perpin and I talk about his intentional community, um, what his values are in community. And then we talk about worldview versus mindset. And then we, we talk about how close do you have to be on worldview with to effectively be a community with other people. Right. Sure. Not a community living all together in a commune or th things like that. But, you know, I mean, if you've got your circle of influence and your circle of control, you've got your close circle of friends and you consider yourself a community, how close do you have to be in mindset and, and worldview? And one of the examples we had was that for some reason we were in this larger group in Kansas City and we were in a telegram group. And somebody invited this militia dude. Um, and these weren't like crazy um, redneck militia guys. These were guys that are at the gun show and they're organized and all this stuff. In other words, they're feds, right? <laughs> they're feds. This guy had to be a fed. But anyway, so they, <laughs> you'll have to listen to the rest of the episode to, to find out. But they crashed our Telegram group. We started asking them questions about you know, community and what their values were and stuff like that. And they got really, really mad. So it was hilarious. <laughs> you have to listen to hear the rest of the story. It's pretty good. I'll have to definitely. Um, are you able to go? Is it what's his name? Pip? Perpend. P Perpend. Yeah, like perpendicular. That's his his name's David, but you know, Perpend's his uh his nickname. Okay. Are you able to go visit his uh, community and like see what he like does and like garden? And I'm assuming the monks have a garden and stuff. Yeah. So he hasn't gone to the monastery yet. That's a longer gotcha. term. He's gone to the monastery. 
So how it works is, so it's Orthodox monastery, right? Orthodox Christian. Um, you go to the, you go to the monastery for like a week, you go for two weeks, you increasingly go, and then eventually you become a monk. And he's at the beginning of that journey. He's gone twice. Gotcha. So, but he's, cool. he's living with a bunch of, he's living around a bunch of, uh, Orthodox Christians who are forming an intentional type community over in Kansas city. Hmm. So yeah, he goes into more detail in there and, and, and stuff, but yeah, I, I, I go over there and visit him and they've got a really big garden and uh, it's pretty impressive. I, they turn this uh, city park in or city lot in the middle of uh, the inner city into a just really amazing garden. That's cool. I wonder if they have like, pictures or videos or something like that of it somewhere yeah it's yeah it's george washington carver garden or something like that so gotcha. okay. yeah i could i could find it and i'll send you the link that'd be great well hey man uh i appreciate you coming on my show and uh schooling me on a bunch of stuff uh i learned a lot it was fun we'll yeah, thanks for having me i appreciate it yeah you're welcome that was a fun and informative talk with Scott. See, this is why I do this. I can ask all my questions to everyday people, find out more about them, and learn a lot. I hope you all learned something too. Thanks for watching, everyone. Leave a comment, like, subscribe, and most importantly, share this video. We are on a fountain.fm podcast player and, you know, all the other ones, but, you know, you should try Fountain. It's cool. You can go to farmhoplife.com, see what we're all about, sign up for our email list and telegram channel there to be notified when new videos, interviews, and podcasts are available. We are on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, MeWe, and Float. Email me anytime, matt at farmhoplife.com. Go to farmhoplife.com slash 20x23 to learn more about our 20 by 23 project where we're going to be visiting 20 homesteads in the year 23. Help them out. Everyone needs a hand. I'm always looking for new people to interview if you want to come on to talk about homesteading, farming, food security, homeschooling, regenerative agriculture, alternative building methods. Go to farmhoplife.com slash guest. Go feed yourself. Inside of the city, the people are crazy. Out of their minds, they ain't got a clue. We gone away, headed west for Montana. Left family and friends all out. Now is you. We both got new jobs, a host and a homestead, thinking this was the life, all that there'd be. After our firstborn, you had to stay home. That's when the work got in the way for me. Well, I started farm hop life. Farm to help and to wander. Me and the family, a truck and an RV, send us a message and.